standing at the back door this evening, and I thought I was beginning to see things, and all of a sudden I saw this little blonde-headed girl come running up the side of the building in the front. Next thing I knew, she turned around and went back. And I waited, and I said, well, somebody's going to be coming with the child, and nobody came, and nobody came, and nobody came, so I thought I'd go look. So I walked out there and looked around the corner and didn't see her, didn't see anyone else, but I did recognize the vehicle out there. Uh, so it's good to see Krista here and uh, Chelsea and, and the boy as well. But it was this, you know, I said, wait a minute, <laughs> somebody was here, <laughs> ought to have uh, come on in the door, but it was good to see each one here. Thinking in the lesson about being sanctified and the, the songs that tie in with it as well, about looking at this creation of what we have And I was thinking, you know, there's something unique about it, about creation and then our creation as human beings, and then our creation as a spiritual being within Christ Jesus. I look at the universe, I look at the plant life, I look at the animal life. And I see consistency there. Growing up in California, the redwood trees still look like redwood trees. Uh, They've been there for thousands of years, and they haven't changed in their looks per se. Animal lives are basically the same. And then I look at the creation of man. Of course, the difference being we were created in the image of God, and after his likeness. But I thought it's interesting as I think about what's offered to us. We discussed this morning a little bit about our being the children of God. And Paul went right into the, the Galatians in that second chapter, down at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That interesting ability for a change to take place in the life of a human being that doesn't take place in any other form or any other creation, created part that God has made. The ability to take a human life and in a sense put that human life to death and create a new life that dwells in this fleshly body. That's totally unlike the old. The old flesh is the man of sin, falling short of the glory of God. The new flesh, or the new creation, Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Falling right into the caution, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. This concept of this new creation 
a being that will never die, the being has always been one that would never die, is just simply where will that eternity be, in heaven or in hell? But that ability to create this new being, a spiritual being, to dwell in this fleshly body, and to be a totally new creation. We have a different perspective. We have different reasoning power. We have different hopes and aspirations and goals that are not there in the fleshly realm. And we're reminded as Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica in that first letter and in the fifth chapter, verses 23 through 28, that we have been sanctified. We've been set apart. It's seen throughout human history taking something which is common and setting it apart for a specific purpose. They did that with the the utensils that were used, for example, in the tabernacle. They were just common elements, but then they were set apart for a specific purpose for the service of God. And then we are this new creation. It's taking this which is common and setting us apart for a different purpose. For the purpose of being a servant of God. And are reminding ourselves that being that servant has we also removed self-identity, if you will. It's not what I can do. It's not what I can contribute. It's not what can be done through me. It's not my choosing what I would like to do, where I would like to do it, and how I would like to do it. God always has a way of humbling his creation and of reminding his creation that we're set apart for his service, for his glory, wherever that would be that he chooses for us to be. Paul, in talking to the Corinthians in that first letter and in the 12th chapter, down at verse 18, God has placed the members in the body just as it has pleased him. He's always been intrigued by that. Is God places you where he wants you. You're living in a time frame that's part of history. And yet he has a purpose for you at this time in his time frame and in his kingdom. And then we're reminded in Matthew 25 and verse 15 and talking about the parable of the talents. In verse 15, it says, God, or the master, gave to each one according to their several abilities. Whatever they had has been given to them, and they had the ability to use what has been given to them. 
And as sometimes seems to be the nature of human beings, we tend to want to minimize the abilities that we have or that we could develop within our life. We've begun a new year, and oftentimes as no year is going out and a new year is beginning, we, people have that tendency to make new year resolutions. What they're planning to do in this coming year. And statistics say about 36% of those who make New Year's resolutions have broken them by the end of January. And I'm sure the percentage only goes up after that. We make them and we don't keep them. We have good intentions. But it's this reminder again out of Galatians. In verse 20, I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. And so, whatever takes place in this coming year, and we're looking forward to some good things unfolding, we're excited about what's going to be developing, excited about the possibilities that are laid before us, but also being reminded that. God is able, out of Ephesians 3 and verse 20, our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to that power that works within us. But he's able to do exceedingly abundantly. He's always done that as we look at history. The ability to do more than we had anticipated Starts, I guess, if you want, in, in the Garden of Eden. Now, where did all the animals get their names? And why were they given the names that they were given? And how did they ever come, how did he ever come up with the names? And how many animals were there? And then you had to plant life and the other lives that were there. I mean, you just think about that task. But God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Israel coming out of Egypt. Israel being able to leave Egypt. Being in the minority. And then being convinced or should have been convinced that they could. You look at Joshua and Caleb as we're talking in or study in, in Nehemiah. The two, Joshua and Caleb, that says, if God is pleased with us, he'll give us the land. Ten says we cannot do it. And we talked about giving in to the naysayers if we're not careful. It's just that, where is the confidence in? Human-wise, they were, the, the ten were right, human-wise. As the human beings, yea, they were the minority, they were the small ones. But they had forgotten God. And it seems like they, they forgot God when they got to the Red Sea. The stand before the Red Sea. 
The Egyptian army's closing in on them, and they, woe is us. Moses, what have you done to us? You let us out here to be killed. Be still and see the hand of the Lord. That has not changed. And that's the reminder for us. You know, we, we look at the opportunities. We see obstacles that are there. We work with time frames. And again, the time frame, has, as we know, it, it can fluctuate. And it has nothing to do with us, per se, or what we would do, are desiring to do. But it has a lot to do with people who have control over things that we do not have control over. And it's trusting God in his time frame to make changes that, and they have been made, that you wonder, how'd that come about? We're in Christ. We've been sanctified. We've been set apart for the purpose of serving God. For the purpose, again, of simply being those who have this new life being constant, constantly changed and renewed along the way so that we can be indeed the ones that God would have us to be. The sanctification took place when we became this child of God to begin with. When we crucified that old self, when we put him to death in that watery grave of baptism, for that individual to be raised up to walk in newness of life, we were set apart then, and we made a choice. It's always amazing. The scriptures clearly bring it out so many times for us that we just take time to listen to it. What God is able to do that is beyond what we think would be possible. How he's able to take as we might use the term, it's not used per se directly with him, but as the term might be used, how we could use a mass murderer. We call him Saul of Tarsus. Putting Christians to death. Directly, he cast his vote against them. Indirectly, he had them put to death. And how could God take one like that and make him a sanctified person to glorify God. How he could choose the ones that we would not have chosen, the 12, for a worldwide mission, what we call the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to be given a worldwide mission in a remote part of the world, <coughs> excuse me, to 12 uneducated men, as the term sometimes is used, and not choose another group. The power lies in God. As they learn, and as we continue to learn along the way, the power lies in God. Paul in Romans 1.16 says he wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it was the power of God unto salvation. And we still struggle with that. 
We can just find the right method. We can just find the right tool. We can just find the right courage. We can just find this. We can just find that. We can do it. It's God who works in us to work his will out within our lives. Then we're constantly being sanctified. That concept of, of being this child of God and this concept of God continually working with us, allowing us forgiveness of sins. John reminds us in 1 John 1, 5 through 9 that if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have no sin, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. But that in this unique creation, God takes the fleshly body and uses it through the fleshly life of the body And allowing that spiritual being to dwell there and to do his will. But then beyond that, to take that spiritual being to heaven. Everything else that God has created is going to be burned up and gone. The earth and all of its elements, the universe is going to be burned up and gone. It ceases to be. Time that we live in is going to be gone. Only this unique creation of God, the spiritual being in the flesh, the flesh will be gone, but that spiritual being will live through eternity. Well, you don't live through eternity. It never ends. But we'll be with God eternally. And for us to have that confidence. Again, as I read the scriptures. Old Testament, New Testament. I see that constant struggle with man. In accepting the truth of who God is of accepting the truth of what God desires from us. Not understanding the truth of what God can, is, and will do through the creation that he has sanctified through the blood of Jesus Christ. God's people have always, Adam and Eve on down, God's people have always struggled with trusting God and keeping his word. We're told we have not because we ask not. James 4. Already anticipating human response. You ask and do not receive. No, if I don't have because I do not ask, well, I can ask. I can come up with a list of things to ask for. But I ask and do not receive because I have a wrong motive in mind. 
Notice me. If I really want to serve God, if I really want to glorify Him, it's really letting go and let God do it. I want to be the one that does the glorifying of God. I want to use the talents that I believe I have to be the one that's glorifying God. God is glorified by what He has done. And God receives the glory through what we do when we've let go, when we've trusted God. And we've always struggled with that. And as far as I know, as long as this world stands, that's what it's going to be. We're going to struggle through it. It's interesting, again, just to read history. Read secular history, read religious history, read scripture, and see how that unfolds. So many ways and so many opportunities that we really fail to see because we like to look with the physical eye. We think we serve God best when we're free in the physical realm. We live in a free country. And that seems to, because we live here, that seems to be the best thing for us and for the glorifying of God. But as I read the history of the scriptures, how many times has God been glorified by those who were not free? We'd reference in the study of Nehemiah on Wednesday night a little bit about Jeremiah talking about the captivity that was coming and the asking of how long they were going to be in captivity. And they were told they're going to, Jeremiah said, you're going for 70 years. The false prophet said, at first said, no, we're not going into captivity. And then Jeremiah kept saying, yes, you are. Well, then the false prophets concluded, well, you are, we are going into captivity, but it's only going to be three or four years, and then we'll be coming back. But Jeremiah uses an illustration. Asked Jeremiah what you saw. He said, I see two baskets of, of figs. One's a good figs, and one, I don't remember which translation has it. One of them has, has a translation, one has naughty figs. Good figs and naughty figs. Not sure what naughty figs do, but they're described in other translations as bad, as bad figs. Well, those that stayed in Jerusalem, guess what kind of figs they concluded that they were? They're staying in the homeland. They're staying in Jerusalem. And how did they think of the ones that were going into captivity? They thought they were the good figs. And the bad figs were going into captivity. Human reasoning. And Jeremiah says, you got it wrong. It's the other way around. The good figs. Because what would happen? He would bring a remnant back from captivity. And out of that remnant that came back from captivity would come a Messiah. 
Those that stayed did not. Human reasoning, we look differently. And ours is constantly this battle to open the spiritual eyes and to see. Elijah, Elisha, and his servant were being pursued by the Syrian army. They wake up in the morning and the servant goes out and he looks and the Syrian army is on the mountaintops completely surrounding them. They have sent an army to take one man and his servant. The servant, little concerned. But Elisha says to the servant, or pray to the Lord, Lord, open his eyes. And the implication there is, Lord, open his eyes that he may see what is already there. The heavenly host. Do we forget about them? Do we forget about the heavenly host working in our lives? They're there. They're God's messengers sent to help us. How they do that is up to God. But simply the fact that do we realize that we have that greater power? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And 1 John 4, 4. We need to realize we have that greater power. But it does not always work in the way we'd like it or in the time frame that we like it. But it does work. We're reminded that one sows and another reaps. Jesus told his disciples, you're reaping what somebody else has already sown. And you're going to be sowing what others are going to reap. And that's the way it has always been. We, again, as humans, we like to see what I've sown. I like to see it grow. That's why I'm not a farmer. One, I don't have the patience for it. And two, I don't have the knack for it. Whatever it is, I've been given plants. I've been given plants. I've been told that you cannot kill the plants. They lie. <laughs> you don't have to water them. They'll survive. They lie. They need water. You lie. You give them too much water, they die. They do not survive. Not in my household, at least. My mother, green thumb. She could grow anything. She, was, she grew fruit trees that she had planned to move, living in California, born and raised there. She had fruit trees that she had planned to move to Arizona someday. She never made it. But they were bearing fruit in five-gallon buckets. She just had a knack for it. But do we trust God? Do we trust God? We plant, we water, another, and then God gives the increase. We know that. 
But we need, to, we need to be reminded of that from time to time. You scatter. Where did you scatter? Where are you to scatter the seed? Wherever you go. Wherever you go. Hard soil, rocky soil, thorny soil, good soil. And oftentimes we need to be reminded. No soil has to remain the same. Otherwise we have no hope. (laughs) If the rocky soil can't change, then we don't have hope. If the thorny soil can't have the thorns removed, we don't have hope. If you cannot plow up the hard ground, the pathway, every soil can be changed. You can have good soil, and if you do not tend to it, it can become hard soil. But any soil can be changed. The power is not in us, the power is in God. We've been sanctified, we've been set apart. Ours is to do God's bidding. Scatter the seed, water on the seed, plant the seed and let God give the increase. We're his servants wherever we're at. We already know that. We've been moved around. Even those that have stayed here in the area have been moved around. We've been from place to place, congregation to congregation, for one reason or another. God got you where he wants you. We serve here. Where the results come and how great they come, it's up to God. We need to be the servant. I'm the servant that had been sanctified, set apart when I became a Christian. And as God continues to work in our life, but more than that, been sanctified for what happens when we see the Lord that final day. That's what we're set apart for. That's what we're living for. What will come in that final day. Do we have that faith in God to do his bidding? Who at the door is standing, patiently drawing near? Interest in demanding. Whose is the voice I hear? You've heard me say that. To me, that's one of the saddest songs I know. It's an invitation song. It's a bid to come. But to think at times that that, uh, that applies to us, Who's at the door of your heart? Who is seeking to come into your heart, into your life, and to make you what he wants you to be? Will we heed the voice? God in his love patiently waits. God in his long suffering, giving you time. God in seeing the good wants to see you change. But that has to come from you. Your decision to make that change. And so as you listen to the words that we sing, listen to the message. And maybe it's just a personal resolve in our heart, in our mind, and in our life to make a change that we need to. Or maybe that we need the, the help of brothers and sisters in Christ. But if we have a need to respond to that invitation, it is extended this evening. And if we could assist you, if we could help you, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing. <laughs>